Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Welcome back to Pod Save the World. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Ben Rhodes. And this is a very special edition of the show dedicated to Boris Johnson. Ding dong, the witch is dead, Ben. I mean, you and I both had the exact same reaction, though, as this was like clearly collapsing like House of Cards, which was like, get Lammy on the phone. (laughs) Yeah. I've been waiting to have this conversation with David Lammy for a while. I I truly like I think it's uh, fair to say he's um, a a beloved Pod Save the World guest, (laughs) the right honorable David Lammy, the shadow foreign secretary, labor MP from Tottenham. Uh, He's been in parliament for, I think, 22 years. Just a fantastic guest on the show and thinker and and leader there. But uh, we just wrapped a conversation with him where he kind of walked us through everything. What happened? What's next for later? Uh, how he sort of sees the electoral landscape. I think folks will like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, 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 uh, it is just, uh, it's nice to have this finally break. How many times have you and I had this conversation about like, oh, maybe he'll resign this time. (laughs) And, and, And he always just like hung on. So to see him, uh, finally begin to it's like someone like gripping on to something really tightly and someone they've finally begun to peel his fingers off what he was trying to hold on to and pull him out of the uh, number 10 yeah it's funny you know we'll we'll, we can get into the backstory in a minute but it is um it is lucky for all our friends in the uk that they can get rid of a leader a little more easily without an election if there had been some sort of intra-party system in the republican party that wasn't the 25th amendment I mean, I guess there was impeachment and everyone just decided to be absolute cowards on that front. But, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Look, he's not Boris isn't gone gone yet as of when we started recording this, but um, we should just be excited about where we are. Uh, ben, it feels weird to, to throw to some housekeeping right now. But before we get to the backstory, yes. just know that for if, if Boris Johnson or any friend in your life needs a new T-shirt uh, now <laughs> through now through, I guess, tomorrow, like there's 15 percent off site wide on the Cricket.com website. Lots of new sale items. Our last summer sale uh, and always the Cricket store donates a portion of every order to vote riders, which is a nonprofit working towards ending voter suppression. So check it out. Good stuff up there. Great deals. And uh, you help a good cause. So. Okay, we're recording this uh, Thursday, uh, July 7th at around noon. Uh, we just wrapped our conversation with David Lammy. Um, the reason we want to do this special episode is because Boris Johnson resigned. Ben, do you want to just get into the backstory? I mean, like, do you start yeah. two years ago, two weeks ago, 48 hours ago? Um, where do you think we begin here? Well, I think part of what's interesting, Tommy, in watching this is that, like, they had the the party vote, right, on whether to keep him. And he survived. Uh, he barely survived, but he did survive. And so we know how we got there. We got there because of Partygate and Raiders at number 10 and lying about it and you know, inquiries into it that revealed both the parties and the lying. And he still survived that. Um, I think that since then, you've had kind of further cloud of scandal. So one of the precipitating events was this guy that Boris Johnson was going to elevate to a pretty substantial role 
Um, it turned out he had like sexually <laughs> assaulted um, uh, a couple people, and that was known to Boris Johnson, and he didn't care and still elevated this guy. And then he tried to lie about knowing about it, and it came this out. This is that someone lying. named Chris Pincher, uh, yeah. who's a conservative MP, who Boris, I think made or was planning to make him a deputy chief whip, sort of like a big deal within the party. You're whipping votes. You're keeping everyone sort of on sides. Yeah, this man got drunk at an exclusive London club, groped two men. That came out. And then it turned out that he had done this in the past. And Boris said, oh, I didn't know about it. That's appalling. And then a bunch of uh, his Boris's ministers and colleagues said, no, we told you that these allegations were out there and <laughs> yeah, they existed. Yeah, yeah. And you named this guy to a senior party position anyway, despite serious sexual misconduct allegations. That is outrageous. Yeah, no, good. Thank you for the much more specific rundown. But like, I, I, but I think what it comes down to, there's a couple of things in that story. Like one is once again, this idea that the rules just don't apply to Boris and, and like his clique, right? You know, so that- they can behave. I mean, the fact that it was at like, you're right, some fancy London place, right, is is perfect, right? Like it's as if they believe that their exclusivity, you know, gives them a different set of rules than other people have. But then the lying, Lammy says something interesting in the interview, which is that like, even some of these shameless Tory politicians that stuck by Boris, like they just got tired of being humiliated because they were constantly, humiliated. constantly being humiliated. asked to lie for him or to cover for him after he lied. Um, and it just felt like they reached a breaking point where things aren't going well in the country. The trend lines are bad. The recent elections that they've had have gone against the Tories, right? So they're seeing that the political winds are turning against Boris, that he's not somehow defying the laws of political gravity. And he just can't stop lying <laughs> about basic things, right? Like, what did he know and when did he know it? Um, and, 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 and so, like, you know, it's interesting, unlike in the Republican Party, I mean, I, and I have no love for the Tories, and there are a lot of, um, you know, right-wing people there, populists there, a lot of people who've lied there. Obviously, I think Brexit was a terrible idea. They did find a bottom, you know, um, with this slew of resignation letters that got to the point where, like, the guy literally couldn't stock his cabinet with officials. There weren't enough people that would have his back for that. And and that's when it became untenable for him. But, you know, some of these characters that have broken from him, Michael Gove, uh, Preeta Patel, like th these are, you know, these aren't people I'm fans of. It just sh shows that even they had breaking points. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of honor in a lot of these late breaking resignations. So just the quick, the sort of quick backstory in the last 48 hours or so, the the very fast slide to Boris's resignation seemingly was precipitated by two very high-ranking ministers resigning, the Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, and the Health Minister uh, in the party. That was followed by just this rolling series of resignations from within Boris's own party. Boris's appearance at Prime Minister's Question Time did not go well. I Wasn't think that great. The BBC maybe had a split screen uh, that included a running tally of resignations as he spoke that kept going up like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. a lottery total you could win. All of a sudden, he's losing the the Welsh secretary, whatever the hell that person does, the attorney general, the Northern Ireland secretary, security ministers, treasury ministers. There were people who were resigning from roles they had been given 48 hours earlier. Like yeah, yeah. The new chancellor. Favorite. That was the best. Yeah, the new chancellor of the Exchequer uh, called for Boris's resignation like two days after getting the job. Michelle Donnellan, the education minister, resigned, I think, two days after she was put in office. Eventually, you have like 50 plus MPs um, saying, 
no, we're out of here. We're not taking a cabinet role. We're leaving a, some other government position. And to your point, Ben, Boris literally could not staff <laughs> yeah. the government. Um, the scandal obviously goes back further. I mean, you talked about this no confidence vote. You can call a no confidence vote in the conservative party if 15% of the members send a letter calling for one. Boris survived that vote, but I think all the smart folks out there said, look at Margaret Thatcher, look at Theresa May, look at sort of history in the UK. Once this vote happens, the clock is ticking on your political yeah. demise, and it's it's usually ticking pretty fast. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. that's what's happened here. Yeah, and you know, I think that the thing about Boris is that he, for a time, was like delivering wins, right? So like he yes. he won Brexit, the Brexit referendum. He basically led that campaign. They won. And then Theresa May was kind of muddled and barely eked out a win over Jeremy Corbyn. And then Boris led the Tories to a massive majority. I mean, they've got like an 80-seat majority there. And, you know, this gets into why the Tories are shameless. Like, so long as he was winning, you know, and so long as yes. it looked like the, the political win was at his back, they covered up for him, you know, all of his excesses and his lying and his not having a plan um, for how to deal with Brexit. Uh, but clearly those parties, which we covered a lot, like they they struck a, a chord because there was such a flagrant violation of, of trust that, hey, look, I have a different rule for me and my staff than I'm telling the rest of the country to follow. And he never really recovered his political footing from just the revelation of those parties and the lies about them. Uh, and then, like, people just start to cast a net here. And, you know, uh, Lamy makes reference in the interview to the fact that it's also come out that he met with, like, a Russian oligarch, former KGB agent guy by himself. Um, you, you know, that, that, that doesn't look good. Um, you know, he's basically broken the law um, in terms of violating his own agreement in Northern Ireland. We've talked about that. And, and, and there was no cushion for him in the public, right? So, and we saw that. We saw some elections where the the Labor Party or the Liber, Liberal Democrats were making huge gains in areas that the Tories traditionally won. And so I think the political, you know, gravity finally applied to, to, to Boris here. Um, it's still muddled now, though, in terms of what happens. Uh, who ends up leading the Conservative Party? How long does Boris get to hang on as prime minister? And can Labor... You know, there does not need to be an election there, um, you know, right away. Uh, the, the calendar, you know, could allow for another, you know, year to go by before we start a general election in the UK. The question is whether that's tenable and whether or not the kind of political crisis in the UK kind of compels them to, to call an election. Now, if I'm yeah. the Tories, you probably don't want to, right? Because uh, it's not the best environment for, for you to run. No, it is not. I, I, you know, I, I think this this Boris was winning until he wasn't. Point is really important. And listen, uh, folks, we're we're doing this this um, this bonus episode really quickly. I don't pr profess to be an expert in British politics, so please correct us, and we'll talk about this again next week. I'm sure. But I was watching uh, Rory Stewart, uh, who's sort of a candidate. He's worked in government, sort of a, a writer, talking Tory about MP, how yeah, yeah. Tory MP how there was a local election a couple weeks ago where the Tories got romped. And I think that might have led some insiders, some some folks who had been, you know, pretty staunch defenders of Boris throughout to suddenly realize, okay, the one thing this guy did for us was win. You know, I mean, like, yeah. just for the backstory folks on Brexit is Boris Johnson famously had two op-eds written, one yeah. for Brexit, one against. He decided to go against 
Hey guys, Tommy Vitor here. Uh, I misspoke in that last sentence. I obviously meant to say that Boris Johnson uh, famously wrote op-eds for and against Brexit and then chose to be for Brexit and led the campaign to rip the UK out of the European Union. Sorry for misspeaking. Back to the show. And then he knifed Theresa May from within her own government, pushed her out. Then he delivered this massive win in 2019 under the slogan of get Brexit done with no actual plan to get Brexit done. And to your point earlier, Ben, served up an 80-seat majority for the Tories that made them feel like, okay, well, we have this big mandate. Uh, this guy can win, so let's let's stick with him. Um, that was slowly chipped away to. I mean, I, I made a list of um I made a list of scandals. I mean, there were the countless COVID lockdown parties. Eventually, an internal inquiry found that 83 people violated COVID rules. They got drunk, they they fought each other. They broke stuff. There were 126 <laughs> fines levied by the government, including one for Boris Johnson. He lied about it throughout. Then he finally apologized. Um, the Chris Pincher sexual misconduct allegations, like to Lamy's point that he lied about that. There were other sexual misconduct allegations in the Tory party. There was a report that Boris was trying to get a donor to finance uh, refurbishments on his apartment. They did. Was, yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's a we joke about Boris, you know, just wanting to stick out and be caretaker prime minister to throw more parties. There was literally a report in one outlet this morning that that's one of the reasons he wants to stick <laughs> yeah, around, is throw yeah. some sort of wedding party for himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, like, look, you'll hear in Lammy's interview later, like, he's a very thoughtful, substantive guy. Uh, the biggest scandal of all was not having an agenda, like, or, or you know, pushing for Brexit without any plan for how to manage it. And now, most recently, that's kind of manifested in trying to tear up the Northern Ireland protocol and basically blowing up relations with the EU without any clear way to work through it. Yeah, I, Brexit is the original sin here. And I think it's important to come back to that, you know, because Brexit is both what propelled Boris Johnson. It tapped into this kind of xenophobic populism there. And it's caused a lot of the bread and butter problems that he faces. So we've talked about this a bit on the mailbag, but they can now measure that the UK lost several points of growth off their economy because of Brexit, that inflation is worse um, in the UK than it is in Europe, um, in part because of Brexit, that there are these challenges for Brits doing businesses. So that there are real substantive issues that are in front of them. I think that the, the couple of things that stand out going forward are, first of all, it is good news. Like we've We've covered some, you know, as dark as the political news can feel in the U.S., you know, interestingly, we've had elections now in Germany, in Australia, uh, in Canada. Um, you, you, you now have center-left governments in all of those places. Um, and that's on top of New Zealand and some interesting center-left politicians and progressive politicians in places like Finland and Sweden and Denmark. So there's something happening out there where the, the bill's finally coming due for some of these um, right-wing populists. Um, and, and I think the question in, in the UK will now be, can the, the Labour Party make this about not just Boris Johnson, but the entire Conservative Party, right? It's the same thing here mm -hmm. that we have with the Republicans. It's yes. not just Trump. It's that this whole party enabled him. This whole party got behind him and his agenda because they believed in it, because that's who they actually are. They're populists who think that the rules don't apply to them and they don't have good answers for these bread and butter issues in people's lives. And so labor has to make, make sure that all this cloud of ill repute and scandal uh, and mess that is on Boris now sticks to the Conservatives and then you know, run hard on their agenda up and through whenever that election is.
Pod Save the World is brought to you by the UN Refugee Agency. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. So the, the question of what happens next, um, you know, there's sort of a narrow near term and a long term. This question of whether Boris remains as a caretaker prime minister does it remains unresolved as far as I could tell. Clearly, Boris Johnson wants to stay in that job. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're happy and, and laughing about all of this news today because he sucks and it's great to see him go. But there is a uh, far more risk to allowing that to happen than I would have yeah. than I would have thought of a year ago. Um, there's something called there's an intra Tory party. There's inter intra conservative party group of backbench MPs called the 1922 committee. They figure out the next step of this process. Basically, there will be a series of votes for potential uh, contenders for the prime minister position. Uh, they will whittle those down to two. And then all dues paying members of the conservative party get to vote. There will be some sort of a campaign, maybe six weeks, maybe two months, maybe less to uh, for the final two candidates to campaign for those conservative party member votes. I guess, Ben, there's like a 200,000 conservative party members. You pay like 25, 30 bucks to be a part of it. And then I guess this is what you get from it. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, the prime minister of England, uh, the UK is the the leader of the party that can form a majority. And so that's what will happen here. Um, there's a lot of names being floated. It's probably not worth, you know, rattling off too many of them. But, you know, a lot of them, Liz Truss, the foreign secretary, uh, the, the former chancellor of the exchequer, the former health secretary. There's a lot of names who are very much tainted by Boris Johnson. You know, then there's Jeremy Hunt, who I believe is the the final when when Boris Johnson won in 2019. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, he's a former foreign secretary, challenged Johnson and ran against him. I don't know if that will help or hinder him since it's such an intra intra party process now. But, um, you know, it, it, there's there's a lot of steps to go here before this is settled, frankly. Yeah, well, both both, you know, the, as Americans, it's interesting. We have these open primaries, obviously, um, in, in, that in, in which people select the Republican Democratic leader, you know, through Democratic elections. There, it's much more a horse trading thing. I mean, I think the, this is another point about why did this happen to him now? Clearly, when that confidence vote happened, none of the other people felt like they had a good shot at becoming leader. In other words, it's like the wire, right? If you come at the king, you best not miss. Um, <laughs> yep. Like nobody was ready yet with their leadership challenge. And it feels like now some of these people are ready to make their play. And what it's really going to be about is who can horse trade, um, you know, in the in the Tory party and uh, build the biggest block here. And But like you said, all these characters are, you know, far to the right of, say, like David Cameron. And I'm not 
Look, David Cameron, obviously, his legacy a bit <laughs> clouded by a lot of things, including Brexit itself. But uh, the, the point is that all these people would be further to the right, that the, the Tory party, because of Brexit, because of Boris, um, is going to leave us. I, I can't get that enthused about any of the people that might emerge from the horse trading and inter-party fight that's going to um, going to play out now going forward. Um, and and look, you know, Labor, it, it, by contrast, is very stabilized, like Keir Starmer, Whatever you, you, know, you think of him has got his arms around that party, like he's consolidated his position in that party. He's kind of tacked uh, center left uh, in a way that has some progressive elements um, that can appeal to some of the Corbyn voters, but uh, has pivoted more to the center and other things. So clearly, Labor is in a better position right now. Um, and the Liberal Democratic Party um, as well as another option. Um, but yeah, like the, the Tories, it's funny how much their parallels between American British politics, because Boris isn't a, ca- a carbon copy of Trump. There are some differences, but the basic idea of a populist who tapped into xenophobia um, and, and pulled this party to the right, both leading the party, but also responding to what was happening from the bottom up um, in the party, like that's, you know, looks familiar from across the pond here. Yeah. And so there, there will be a lot of fallout from this decision today for obvious reasons, but also, you know, sort of more parochial reasons, like big question now in terms of what this means for Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland protocol and all the frustration they've dealt with. I think there's a big questions for what this means for Scotland and the Scottish independence movement and whether this may or may not accelerate. Um, lots more we can dig into. I do. I, I didn't want to end this sort of news segment um, without mentioning the best thing that happened today, which was Hugh Grant tweeted yeah, a request yeah. <laughs> uh, asking activists to play Yakety Sax, the Benny Hill theme song uh, on loudspeakers outside Westminster so that when Tory prime ministers were on TV doing their spin jobs, trying to mop up after Boris, Yakety Sax was on in the background. And maybe we just, hopefully we can cut it, a clip of that into the podcast right here. Because it's the funniest goddamn thing I've ever heard, and yeah. it will never get old to me. Yeah, good for Hugh Grant. I mean, like that, like like the U.S. There's a kind of resistance Twitter uh, in <laughs> yeah. the U.K., and like Hugh Grant has definitely emerged as uh, one of the, the better uh, voices there. Uh, I unlike say, Deborah I did, Messing, yeah. uh, Hugh Grant hasn't given up yet. Exactly, Hugh Grant, <laughs> and he's bringing he's bringing some real ideas to the table there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will say, and he actually had a great tweet today too about how like. Now what happens is a bunch of oligarch tabloid owners get together and choose the next Tory prime minister, which that, that I, we should have met. We, we actually should have mentioned that in the selection process, like who these right wing tabloids and right wing media get behind is going to matter. The one other issue I'd mention is Ukraine, just because yeah. Boris tried to hang on by claiming that like he's this wartime prime minister. He's poured weapons into Ukraine. He traveled to Kiev before most people. The Ukrainians appreciated that. But he tried to use that as a rationale for why they couldn't get rid of him. And the reality is you heard Lammy say is that like none of that changes. <laughs> you know, like like the, that's Boris wasn't unique in the British system and supporting that. As in the US, it's kind of bipartisan there too. Um, so so that that should be consistency and not uh, a deviation, no matter who emerges in the Tory party or whether the labor ends up taking over at some point after an election. Um, yeah. I, I do have to say, Tommy, like, I'm going to be really glad to see this guy, uh, you know, net, behind Netanyahu, like there, there are very few foreign leaders that I can say I've, 
I, I'd be happier to see go um, than, than Boris. As much as the Ragers were entertaining and the, uh, as we pointed out a couple of podcasts ago, at least he got that final um, couple of bottles of wine at the, the G7 in Germany, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, one last chance to get tipsy with the world leaders. I, I agree. Listen, I, like they're, yeah, I think what, what Boris Johnson did for us was make us on occasion feel less bad about our own political system <laughs> yeah. and process and leadership, but that's not a good reason to keep him around. I do worry about all the damage that these guys can do from yeah. whatever their next step is, as we've watched Donald Trump do just be just a, a nightmare, but he does, um, I don't know. Like this is a stupid prediction, so I shouldn't even make. It. He he seems far more mortally wounded for in this moment than Donald Trump ever was because it was his own members of his own party knifing him, something which never fully happened here in the Republican Party. Um, you know, Ben, it was and the interesting. Brits, the Brits tend to kind of savage their ex prime ministers too. <laughs> like like, yeah. like they they yeah. tend to kind of send them into isolation, you know, in exile. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not the worst idea. Um, just kidding, President Obama. Yeah. I, it was very interesting to hear Lammy say. I was going to ask Lammy about Ukraine and what this might mean because he is the shadow foreign secretary. Uh, because you're right. I mean, the classic like wag the dog style. Boris Johnson has decided to make Ukraine his thing in the last few months. He's constantly talking about weapon systems and shipments. And you're right. He visited Kiev. Who am I to say whether that is a sincerely held belief? Whether it's him implementing party policy or, you know, a crass cynical move uh, to try to distract uh, from a series of scandals, you know. But um, it was interesting to hear me be like, there's not going to be a change, you know. And I guess Zelensky, you know, is out the gate tweeting his gratitude to Boris Johnson uh, early this morning. But um, it does seem like no matter who follows Boris Johnson, there will be considerable support for Ukraine and yeah. uh, there is in labor too. So I'm not sure that that is particularly relevant here. Yeah. Well, maybe Boris can go, you know, uh, go support the Ukrainians. Uh, Ooh, in his, grab a uh, weapon. Yeah. 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 And it's after, I, I mean, it's just it's something about a guy that he literally, because uh, what he may do is return to media, right? That's where he came from. So Boris got his start. He kind of cut his teeth as this, you know, columnist um, who would literally make up stories. He made up lies. Uh, yeah, he made about, up quotes. Uh, I made up quotes literally to make the EU look bad. He was a Brussels correspondent. Um, and so he's he's been tied up in this kind of like buffoonish right-wing media, xenophobic right-wing media in the UK that kind of took over politics there on the conservative side. And um, I guess he could return to having like a, a newspaper column, you know, um, yeah. which is what he did for a long time. But uh, that's a lot less damaging than, than like a Donald Trump planning a return to power, you know. Yeah, maybe he wants a podcast. We give him a ring. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's I wonder true. what his version of Mar-a-Lago is. Whether he, I mean, you know, what what Trump has done is pretend to fundraise to overturn the results of the election and just use it to <laughs> throw events at his own clubs. So yes, I don't yeah. know. That's a path that's open to to Boris too. I guess <laughs> yeah, it's available. Um, any any final thoughts on on Boris Johnson that we should talk through before we get to the interview with David Lammy? I get my final thought again is just to echo the Brexit point of like, you know, the real like a real legacy here is that this is done. I mean, I remember Brett saying to me after the 2016 election, you guys can at least vote out, you know, Trump. Um, we can't really get back in the EU, you know. Um, and so there's a there is a kind of lasting damage that that has been done underneath the buffoonery uh, and the kind of debasement of the office that is worth uh, noting. Um, but then again, as we saw, like we voted Trump out of office and it didn't fix all the problems in our democracy either. So w- us and the UK 
you know, we've got a lot more work to do, but you got you to enjoy your wins when you get them. I agree with that. I mean, th- there might be a lot of continuity in terms of, of leaders and policy and parties in charge. I think what Trump has taught me is, and, and Bibi Netanyahu has taught me and Boris Johnson has taught me, is how much leaders and leadership matters. And when they are, like, as, as Lamy said, the, Boris Johnson is a pathological liar. Donald Trump yeah. is a pathological liar. So is Bibi Netanyahu. They were all corrupt and venal and so utterly selfish that they were willing to yeah. rip the UK out of the EU and like blow up the future for millions of, of Brits for political purposes that weren't even like deeply felt feelings, right? So um, I think Boris being gone will be a good thing. Hopefully they will, the, the UK uh, voters will figure out a way to put them on ice a little more than we've done with uh, with Donald Trump. I do think it's worth celebrating these small victories. It's not every yes. day you see uh, just a schmuck like Boris Johnson toppled. I mean, he was just a, a racist creep <laughs> yeah, yeah. and well, couldn't be happier that he's gone. I, I, I just, yeah, like personally, like I remember when I wrote about this in my first book, like uh, traveling to London with Obama in 2016 to support Cameron in trying to keep the UK in the EU. And Boris Johnson writes this really high profile column saying that Barack Obama, uh, you know, had it in for the UK because his black Kenyan father, you know, instilled in him like a anti-British ideology. It was like a Denise anti-colonial D'Souza. mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a Denise D'Souza argument, like, you know, like, like dark corners of the far right kind of argument. That's, that's who this guy is. Right. So, um, and I have to say, man, when you get in the barrel in British politics, you get just savaged, you know, like watching the British media. It's just like there's a lot of pent up, I think, uh, accountability coming Boris's way right now. Yeah, that's a that, that's a that's a great term for it, pent up accountability. That could be yeah. a great future podcast about Boris next year. Um, <laughs> OK, well, I think that that's it for us for today. We'll talk about a whole bunch of more issues next week and probably this more. But now we're going to take a quick break and then you will hear our interview with David Lammy. So you absolutely do not want to miss this, yeah, uh, that interview. Frankly, maybe you should have skipped ahead all the bullshit we just said and gotten right to Lammy because he's better. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. We are thrilled to welcome back to the show the Shadow Foreign Secretary and Labor Party MP for Tottenham, David Lamy. David, uh, slow news day. Great to see you. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> it's an extraordinary day here in Westminster. Um, the spectacle of a British Prime Minister determined to cling to power at any cost uh, over a 72-hour period has been extraordinary and deeply unusual in our constitutional arrangement. And of course, he's now staying on as a caretaker uh, when in fact he should just simply leave. Um, And the debate continues and continues. So it's quite, quite an extraordinary moment for us. 
Yeah, uh, unsolicited advice from your American friends here that, you know, allowing a, a, a desperate venal politician to stay in a caretaker role can end badly. But <laughs> why don't we uh, why don't we start at the beginning here? So, you know, obviously, we're here to talk about Boris Johnson's resignation. Clearly, he did everything he could to talk his conservative colleagues into letting him stay. Ultimately, he failed in that effort. In Boris's resignation speech, he said the herd instinct is powerful. And when the herd moves, it moves. What do you think finally got the herd to move today? Look, I think the truth is that Boris Johnson is a habitual liar. And the threshold for the constant lies just became too much. Um, he, his ministers could not go out and defend a line because they found that just hours later that the line exploded in their faces uh, mm -hmm. and the humiliation was becoming bigger and bigger. The hypocrisy was becoming bigger and bigger. And the truth is there was scandal after scandal. One thing that has not been covered as much today, but it was discussed in the UK Parliament, was that Boris Johnson, uh, when he was foreign secretary, admitted in the last 48 hours yeah. that he had met with a former KGB agent uh, without his security detail, without his civil servants, after going to a NATO summit where Russia was top on the agenda. This kind of behavior. So what we knew was there was more to come out. And that is why ultimately, I think uh, his own party, his own ministers did that brutal act of saying, look, we cannot serve, um, and you got the letters, people after people after people, so that, in fact, he could not form a government, uh, and, and he had to, frankly, be dragged out of office. So now he's a caretaker. There'll be leadership challenges from within. People have to try to form a government. I, I want to focus on the role of labor. Um, you know, what? what is before we even get to like the next general election, just in the kind of immediate future here. I mean, I, I just want to say, first of all, David, like you came on after the Boris Johnson landslide win. And we talked about how this could be, you know, a decade in the wilderness. Um, so in part, because you guys have done great work and in part, because Boris Johnson has set himself on fire, the timeline has moved faster uh, on the end of the Boris Johnson uh, premiership than than we might have thought uh, at the time. But what is Labour's role immediately? Uh, are there things that you can do to try to bring a vote of no confidence? Uh, would conservatives join you in that effort? Do you anticipate an election? Just what is your next move as someone who's kind of part of the Keir Starmer inner circle with Labour? Well, look, I think there's an overwhelming mood here in Westminster that Boris Johnson needs to go now. And that is not just a Labour point of view. The former Prime Minister, Conservative Prime Minister, John Major, uh, wrote a letter today to the backbench 1922 committee of the Conservative Party saying, listen, this guy needs to go now. Uh, there are many ministers who resign from his government who don't want to be part of this caretaker government. So they've got a real issue. And that is why we've said that we will force a vote of no confidence next week. Um, and allow those backbenchers in the Conservative Party uh, to join us uh, to see the back of him. Now, we think, frankly, let's call a general election. Um, let's put this to the country. Let's go on with the business of serious government. And we believe the Labour Party can do that. But in the absence of that, I think the key thing is that we can no longer trust Boris Johnson. He doesn't command the trust of the House. He has to leave. And let me just indicate how serious this is. 
Um, very sadly, just around this time last summer, the situation in Afghanistan unfolded. It was tremendously serious. Huge decisions had to be made uh, at pace um, here in the UK and, of course, in the United States. We need someone who has credibility, who we can trust in office to make those decisions. And that's why, actually, in the end, this isn't just a partisan issue. It's an issue that's in the national interest of the country. And, you know, you guys have a lot of issues going on over there. In addition to, obviously, the war in Ukraine, you have major inflationary pressures like we do. But you also, I mean, the, the cost of Brexit is clear, like the, the hit to economic growth in the UK. Um, you know, you have uh, b- b- fiscal issues you got to deal with. Uh, a lot of, a big mess <laughs> that uh, Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party has made, not just Boris Johnson, that the Tories have made the last few years. As labor tries to put itself forward, hopefully you get that shot in election sooner rather than later. What do you guys need to do to close the deal? What is the message about how this wasn't just Boris, this is the Tories, and what is the alternative that you guys are putting forward right now? Well, you're right. The central issue facing the British people is all around the economy. It's all around cost of living. Uh, The UK is predicted to have the slowest growth um, in the G7 Uh, and the highest inflation over the course of the next year. Uh, As we head into a a winter, there are real issues around energy prices, particularly that can only get worse. Against that backdrop, we have to be in the place of economic credibility. We have to be on the side of ordinary people. um, And we have to be on the side of public services. One of the problems I think that Boris Johnson encountered is that he said, let's get Brexit done. And then there was no plan. The cupboard was pretty bare in terms of what his offer was for the British people. What did he want to do with our National Health Service? What did he want to do with our schools and our young people who have been uh, caught behind because of a pandemic and the mental health crisis that I think we all see in front of us? We had no idea. What did he want to do around crime? No agenda at all. So this issue has not just been um, about his credibility, he lacked an agenda. Uh, And that's where there's an opportunity for progressives. At at a time when people do want government to be on their side, to set out their priorities, clearly there's some big security priorities here in Europe because of the war in Ukraine. But actually the immediate challenge is is the usual politics. It's the the bread and butter stuff of how do I put food on the table? How do I support my family? Can my kids get a good education? If I'm ill, will I get health care? And can you please deal with the crime on our doorstep and those young people down the road that seem to have nothing to do that are causing mayhem? Those are the issues that people want to hear us talking about. It's a similar challenge to what we saw with the Democrats facing Trump. Get into that territory. Be firmly in that territory. And as we've seen in Germany, um, in Australia recently, progressives can win. That's where we've got to be. Yeah, I mean, in in some ways, the the greatest scandal of all is pushing to get Brexit done without any plan for what to do after. Um, I, you look at count me among the the many Americans who have been furiously googling the 1922 committee over the last couple of weeks and trying to figure out what comes next. My my set, my understanding of it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is there's sort of a two stage process. The sort of Tory insiders whittle down the candidates to two contenders. They want that wrapped up by you know in a week or two. And then all dues-paying conservatives vote between the two finalists, and you have some defined period of time to uh, to campaign 
for the 200,000 or so votes. Is that right? And in, in, in that sort of process, is there a function to remove Boris Johnson earlier that, that we're not aware of? Well, they'll have to make a decision in the next 24, 48 hours about whether Boris Johnson can indeed remain as caretaker. And indeed, the deputy prime minister, Dominic Raab, um, could easily become the caretaker. They have a second decision about how long this race is going to be, and they'll be having a very big debate about whether they want to run this thing long um, into the into sort of September, um, uh, or indeed whether this has to be pretty quick. Uh, the, the Conservative Party is a party that can act pretty ruthlessly and pretty quickly um, if it wants to. But let's get into the substance here and the big dilemmas that face them. Boris Johnson really had a sort of foistian pack with the British people, in which you'll remember, if you go back to the Brexit period, he absorbed effectively Nigel Farage's Brexit party. Um, So something happened to the Conservative Party that's similar to the sort of Tea Party movement that we saw with the Republicans and those that got behind Trump, a, a sort of infection that affected the Republicans also has come into the Conservative Party. So they have a base now that is unrecognisable compared to what it was um, five, ten years ago, and it's pretty right-wing. And they've got a big dilemma because some of the seats that they picked up from us, what's the so-called red wall, people there are struggling, they want big spending, they want support during a lockdown, uh, beyond the lockdown, and we've seen that um, uh, Boris Johnson has been prepared to spend, but that his old base are fiscally conservative. They don't want they want low taxes and mm-hmm. no spending. That is a dilemma that will face the next leader of the Conservatives. It's a, it's a circle that's going to be very hard to square and certainly very hard to square without the charisma, if you like, uh, of Boris Johnson. So that's a big dilemma facing them. Do they have a torturous process that really flushes that out or do they have a quick process that covers it up? Whoever emerges as leader, and I suspect it will be someone that the US public have never heard of. Yeah. The, the Conservatives are very good at picking leaders you've never heard of. Um, but the truth is that dilemma will face that candidate. And it's likely that, that the candidate will be a Brexiteer. So we'll see more of the same. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like that you, that you have all those policy problems that you just laid out here. It, I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I don't want to compare U.S. and British politics too glibly from from afar, but it does seem like you guys have a similar problem, or the Tories have a similar problem that the Republican Party has here, in that Donald Trump came to power and he didn't just lead the party, but he fundamentally changed it from within, and he also tainted so many of the members within the Republican Party uh, that it's unclear, you know, sort of how you pass the torch. Will it be sort of a Trumpian Republican or or someone with a fresh outlook? Is is how does that dynamic work with the conservatives? I mean, do you think that people who worked with Boris Johnson or defended him to the very last days are are tainted by what's happened to him today? Or I don't know, people kind of price that into their reputations. I think two things happen. The first thing is that these populist characters end up in the end gutting a political party. And when they've left, the cupboard is bare. And the truth is the political party will take many, many years to recover. And I think that the Conservatives uh, will take many years to recover from this populist moment. The second thing, I think, is to say that populism ends badly. It always ends badly empirically. Um, You know, 
what you tend to find is the populace governs um, in a bubble. Um, and then when time comes to go and they're unpopular, they're found in their bunker. Uh, that is the case, I think, uh, towards the end of the Trump period. And I think we've seen some of that here in the UK over the last 72 um, hours. But it ends bad empirically because on the real issues of our times, uh, the multipolar world in which there are not, not just the United States is a superpower, how we deal with an aging population and provide pensions and healthcare, the technological challenges of our time and the challenges of social media particularly and regulation, climate, the biggest issue facing us, on those real issues, they actually have nothing to say. Um, and eventually that catches up with them. So that's the challenge I think that faces um, the Conservative Party over here. And it's why we need progressives to win again in the UK. I think it's also right to say that, remember, that the next general election here in the UK, whenever that comes, will not just be about Boris Johnson. The Conservatives have now been in power for 12 years. That's a 12-year record that we will mm -hmm. be running against them. And it's not been a very high-performing uh, economic period here in the UK. There are real challenges in our public services. Uh, so that time for a change message, I think, can land if the UK Labour Party holds the course. So I, I just a couple more questions. One about Boris and then one kind of stepping back. Uh, the, the one about Boris ties into what you were just saying, which is uh, I want to ask about like his legacy. Um, because he does seem like he's on the way out, you know, obviously, hopefully sooner rather than later. You know, I just think about, David, the last uh, six years from when I traveled to the UK with President Obama in the summer of 2016. And when we landed, Boris Johnson basically said that Barack Obama didn't like the UK because his family came from Kenya. And it's like, whoa, this guy's going to pretty dark populist places, right? And had a lot of Trump echoes. And then you have Brexit and you have this kind of shamelessness around his approach to politics and um, disregard for, you know, norms um, and this kind of radicalization, like you say, of the Tory party, which we all felt like here's a here's a right wing populist that is busting through norms, taking the UK out of the European Union without a plan, um, you know, taking foreign money from the Russians, all this stuff. What's his legacy? Like, how are people going to look? Because he was incredibly consequential, right? I mean, nobody's more responsible for Brexit than him, um, among other things. But but how do you frame his legacy, both in terms of the immediate case to the British people about, you know, what why there needs to be change, but also, like, how do you think this will look to history? I think that the write-up on Boris Johnson will be that he's been one of the worst prime ministers in UK history. It's a bit like that story that we read to our children, the emperor has no clothes. And for a significant period, the adults in the room can't see that he has no clothes. And it takes a child in the crowd to say, but this guy's naked, naked in the wind, there's nothing there. Um, I'm afraid that his low instincts in relation to race, uh, and that came up when um, Barack Obama came to town all those years ago. Um, he continued to govern in that vein. And I think we see with this Rwanda policy, this idea that we should house those who are claiming asylum 
um, in Rwanda is an example of that. Uh, so what we've seen here is wedge issue after wedge issue, uh, de de deliberately applying these cultural divides. And of course, the problem with that is it, it lacks any substance. It doesn't fix the issues that people face in their lives. Uh, so I think he will hold up very, very poorly indeed. And if you put against that backdrop, his mendacity, his in inability to tell the truth, his rule breaking, while hundreds of thousands of people died during the pandemic, the fact that he didn't even believe in leaving the European Union, but he decided um, by sticking his finger in the air that it was in his best interests to lead that campaign, led us out of the European Union and then seemed to have no plan for what came afterwards. And now I think that he's been one of the sh shortest lived UK prime ministers. And when people try to get behind the substance of what he did, not much is there. There've been a lot of boosterism with Ukraine most recently, but the truth is the there's been not really a partisan divide on our support of the Ukrainian people and their territorial integrity and their right to fight against this aggression from Putin. Boris Johnson's made a lot of that, but the truth is there's no difference between us. The pandemic, many, many people died that should not have died because of very poor handling of the pandemic at the beginning of this crisis, particularly. And then we're left with Brexit. So yes, he got Brexit done, but I think people will examine what kind of plan he had afterwards, the consequences of that Brexit, which are now becoming really true. And of course, uh, UK growth is down as a consequence of the decisions he made on his deal. The last question for me is watching this play out, you know, it wasn't nearly as bad in some ways, obviously, as what happened here. We, we, it was interesting watching this play out with the January 6th hearings in the backdrop here. Um, but just as we have kind of structural problems with our democracy tied to the fact that there's now a political party that doesn't follow basic norms. You know, that's that's strained all the institutions in American democracy. Um, you know, whether it's the judicial system, whether it's the Supreme Court, whether it's elections themselves, right? The UK, uh, like Tommy, like, you know, everybody's, we're all Googling these, these arcane rules. Your constitution, you know, is not written down in the same way ours is. It's a mixture of laws and customs and norms, really. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, we've had our own problems with the written constitution, uh, you know, because it can be interpreted, obviously, in crazy ways as our Supreme Court has. But watching this play out and seeing a party break norms and seeing a guy like Boris break norms repeatedly, did that reveal any weaknesses that need to be patched up? I mean, some people I've, I've heard go f as far as saying we now need a written constitution um, in the UK. But like, is, are there democratic, small d democratic things that have to be done to guard against a populist who doesn't abide by norms? Or did, did the system, as strange as it is, kind of work because it became untenable for this guy to stay in power? Well, I think there is a debate in Britain um, about a modern constitutional arrangement that might be required following some of the egregious rule breaking that we've seen. Our system relies on good faith. It relies on so-called gentlemanly behavior. It relies on convention and a small c conservatism and an incrementalism in the way that we bring about change. And we have seen a tearing up um, of that arrangement in recent times, um, for sure. So that debate will continue. It will absolutely um, continue. But 
at the moment, it looks like we might be seeing the back end or the dying days of this populist trend. It will depend, of course, on who the Conservatives pick as their next leader. This dilemma is still before them. Do they continue with the culture divides? Do they continue with waking up with a wedge issue every morning? Do they continue with breaking up the rule of law and the Northern Ireland protocol that they struck with Northern Ireland and the, and, and, and the European Union uh, upon the breakup and the decision to leave um, the EU? Um, uh, we will see, but I suspect because of what I said, um, that will continue. This Brexit trajectory will continue. It needs a progressive government to calm things down, yeah. to set a course that's serious. We're seeing this in Germany. We've recently seen it in Australia. And what's interesting about Australia is that they were up against Linton Crosby and parts of the institutional Murdoch press, and they still won. Yeah. So we should have heart. We should lift our shoulders. Uh, we should be confident that people are rumbling um, the charlatan, uh, what we would call a shyster type behavior <laughs> um, here. And I think that we should be emboldened and make our case, but but make it very much in the center ground on the bread and butter issues that people care about. We have also, of course, uh, progressives got to lift our game on communications. We have to win the battle, not just of ideas, but on rhetoric and language and be alongside people in their day to day struggles. Well, that, I mean, that, that feels like a pretty great place to leave it, David. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us on this momentous day. I hope that you and all our listeners in the UK or everywhere else are taking like 30 minutes to celebrate yeah. before you get maybe back not like a maybe not number 10 style ragers, but you know, like crack. A beer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, right, that. right, right. Not like not Boris, Boris style. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I'm lifting a glass <laughs> yeah. to seeing the back of Boris Johnson. We all are. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you again and, and hope to talk yeah, to you congratulations. soon. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks again to David Lamy for joining the show. Thank you again to uh, every Tory party MP who decided to knife Boris Johnson in the past 48 hours to two months. I don't know. Listen, you're all shameless hacks. None of you had any real political courage, but we appreciate you nonetheless. Thank you to whoever's playing the music on, on Hugh Grant's command to humiliate yeah. British uh, conservative MPs, you know? Yeah, thank you to Yakety Sax and Benny Hill as well. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys next week. See ya. Pod Save the World is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producer is Haley Muse. Saul Rubin is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montooth. Upload our episodes and videos at youtube.com slash crooked media. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.